Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I am your host as always, Steve Hall, and I am joined today with Carl. And actually, I want to make sure, how do you pronounce your last name, Carl, before it's I go Juno. ahead? It's Juno. Yeah, Juno, Juno in French. Nice. Um, so Carl is um, a exercise scientist with a PhD in physical activity epidemiology. Um, epidemiology. <laughs> I'll fumble <laughs> that word as well. Uh, but he has also been a coach for the last 16 years which is a really long time and you will have a lot of experience via that and coupled with um, your expertise, I have no doubt that we have a lot of things to learn from Carl and specifically bringing Carl on to talk about something he wrote recently for Alan Aragon's research review, um, which was very exciting and we were just going to explore it a little bit. But before we get into that, um, I think the audience probably want to hear a bit more about you, Carl, and kind of learn about your background. So uh, feel free to kind of yeah, expand on my very limited uh, introduction to yourself. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Uh, thank you, Steve, for having me on. I like your podcast and uh, it's a privilege to uh, be part of it now. I, it all started when I was six, um, seeing the movie Robin Hood um, made me want to do archery. So then I, I did archery between ages six and 17. And it's my archery coach that got me started lifting weights so I could pull a bow with more tension and shoot arrows straighter. Um, and I started that at age 16. At age 17, I got a new coach. And like many young uh, kids, athletes, I wanted to go to the Olympics. And uh, my coach sat down with me and said, well, if that's what you want to do, you'll have to train full time. Um, you'll do that for 10, 15 years. You'll probably never win the Olympics because no one in Canada ever did for archery. And then you'll have no education, no career, no reputation, and no money. Is this really what you want to do with your life? So I was grateful for this coach to really be straightforward with me. Uh, I thought about it a little bit and I said, no, thank you. <laughs> and I, I stopped doing archery. <laughs> Uh, but I kept uh, lifting weights, and I was very interested in that. Um, I went to the counselor and found out there's a way, there's a career you can make out of that. Up to that point, I didn't know about exercise sciences, and I didn't know that you could make a living and study um, physical activity. So I did a bachelor in that. And um, towards the end of my bachelor, I found out that actually so few people do the minimum of physical activity required for health that I, I kind of made a turn in my education towards public health. And um, this is where I did a master's and a PhD in public health with a specialization in epidemiology, which is basically health statistics. And uh, I butcher the word to uh, <laughs> all the time, so don't worry about that. And uh, at day, I would um, study epidemiology and do my PhD. And at night, I, was, I would work as a trainer and as a coach. And uh, I built uh, the largest website on building muscle in French in the world. Uh, we, we have over 115,000 fans on Facebook, to give you an idea. And I've coached um, about 4,500 people through that website. So I coach people one-on-one -on -one live and I coach people online and I, I've been training myself for a long time too. So um, this really kept me connected to, to the field and although I've studied um, epidemiology and I've, I've learned how to promote physical activity to get people who don't do any um, 
to do a minimum. Uh, my passion has always been building muscle and training and, and lifting weights. So um, now that uh, my studies are over, I'm kind of back with, uh, to this original love. And um, this is, uh, in a nutshell, what brought me to um, writing about um, effective reps and this article in uh, the LN Aragon's Research Review. So um, I'm happy we can talk about it today because um, I think that, well, some people told me and I, uh, I can picture that, that um, they would have liked to read the article, but unfortunately, they're not subscribed to the <laughs> research review. So um, we, can, we can cover it a bit in detail, although uh, I would recommend anyone to get the review. I've been subscribed for a long time and uh, it's really priceless information. Actually, when I was in my master's, I used some of the review to, to um, do work um, schoolwork and I could really got really good grades. So mm -hmm. if that's, uh, if that can motivate anyone that I would recommend it. But, uh, this is the, the short story. Awesome. No, I mean, I think a lot of people can probably relate to the reason you got into weight training. I think a lot of people, I mean, probably not archery, um, but probably no. getting into something like rugby or American football or something along those lines, they need to get into the weightlifting room. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of us realize we're not made out for the kind of being the best at a certain sport and, Lifting weights is something we can do in our own time, be a bit selfish sure. with. And it's exciting that you found a passion for it and helping other people. And I didn't know, I wasn't aware of your French websites. So that's really exciting. Mm. And um, hopefully we can kind of yeah delve into some of that knowledge and spread it to some of the, the more English audience. And yeah. we will go into, and I have to agree, Alan's review. I mean, he was the founder of these sort of reviews. And so if that's yeah. anything to go by, kind of he, he's been doing it a long time and gets some exciting guests to do uh, guest like articles for it so um definitely something that is priceless so if we first of all i guess get into kind of however you want to go into it um kind of defining effective reps what was your kind of article about kind of just wherever you want to begin with because um i don't want to get you to start defining effective reps before we get into kind of obviously you spoke about drop sets and things like that yeah okay sure um if if um that's okay with you i would pretty much um, summarize the article and we could start with, um, you know, what brought me to it. And what brought me to it was one study um, by Prestige and all that was published in 2017 on dropped uh, rest pause sets. And that study showed that one rest pause set was equal or superior to um, three normal sets. And um, it was actually superior for hypertrophy of the thigh, um, but otherwise equal um, in terms of uh, hypertrophy. And uh, this really surprised me. I was, uh, how is it possible that one set be equal to three normal sets? Um, so I started, uh, I started using the technique in my own training. And um, I found that, yes, um, the, the workouts were much shorter, uh, in the order of 50% uh, shorter, and that I w was still making the same gains at the same pace. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that you have the same problem, Steve, which is that when you've been training for a long time, you don't make gains as fast as you used to. So it's, it's hard to really compare over, say, a month or two if a new technique is, is giving you mm -hmm. better results. Um, but um, I, I thought it was giving me at least equivalent results. Um, 
a client I still train. I don't train clients often anymore, but this client, um, I put him on the technique as well, and he uh, he got better similar results. So it got me thinking, and I wonder how doing just one set could um, could lead to better gains than doing three normal sets. And um, I started to gather more studies on techniques like that, like drop sets, and generally speaking, studies on training to failure. And um, I don't know if that happens to you as well, um, but it's like when it comes to lifting weights and, and exercise sciences in general, it's as if my brain works while I sleep. You know, and I, it, it goes into the back background and at some point, you know, I just, I'm in the shower, I'm just walking outside and I'm like, oh, you know, this, this is how it works or, or here's an idea at least. And um, this is basically uh, how it came about. Um, so I, I did a small review of the literature, um, found a bunch of studies on training to failure and um, this is basically how I came up with uh, the theory. No, it's, oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, well, uh, you, you can you can go with your comment. No, I thought I thought you were finishing a, a segment there, so I do. I mean, I have questions on it, but there's obviously more to say, so go for it. Okay, okay. Um, I was finishing a segment. Well, um, I w uh, I should also credit you know other people. I, I've uh, and you mentioned them, so uh, that okay. was a a great comment on your uh, on your part. Um, so other people have written about this, you know, uh, Borje Fajerli, uh, whose work was not too familiar, but uh, you, you mentioned him. I read about Maya reps and he certainly proposed that um, drop sets are, are, would be more effective or would be an effective way to train for building muscle. Um, so th all of this blends together in, in trying to, um, and I tried to come up with a, to build, you know, on, on this the research, the work of other people, and what I think I, I may have done that is new and a, a contribution is to really formalize the theory and just, just put it out there as a theory and say, well, look, um, reps closer to failure are more effective, and um, the reason they're more effective is, I, I hypothesize, is um, because of metabolic stress. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we should probably train with uh, closer to failure if we're interested in building muscle faster and building muscle in a way that's more efficient. So that, that in a nutshell, would be the theory. If you want, I could read you the three points of the theory. And writing about this, it's interesting. I had to read... Um, and refresh my memory on what a theory is, you know, yeah. because it's um, it's interesting in the in the exercise sciences we really seldom um, talk about theory, but we do have theories. It's just that we don't call them that way. Um, and in, in public health, uh, there's a bunch of theories. And uh, when I, I got into public health, I was um, a little behind because I I didn't even acknowledge that theories existed. I was like, well. You know, why Why have a theory and mm -hmm. just talk about stuff the way they are and like don't bore me with theories. <laughs> uh, but 
uh, I learned that theories can be helpful, especially in making predictions. And um, I think all coaches and trainers actually have theories. Yeah. And, um, you know, every trainer has his own more or less theory about what builds muscle, what burns fat, and how to get a client to do it. But uh, we just would not call them theories. But um, I went uh, forward and called <laughs> this one a theory. And um, the three, a theory is, is just a set of logically interrelated propositions about reality. Mm -hmm. So I kept mine really short and focused. The three propositions are, the first one is a definition. So failure, the theory talks about failure. So I think it's important to define failure. And I took the definition of uh, Brad Schoenfeld in his um, Mechanisms of Hypertrophy article uh, from 2010. Um, he defines failure as the point during a set when muscles can no longer produce necessary force to concentrically lift a given load. So some people would call this concentric failure. So that's the first point. The second point is that effective reps are reps closer to failure. And the third point is that the closer a rep is to failure, the more effective it is at building muscle. Yep. So that's really the core of the theory. Mm -hmm. And then now, um, now um, if you want to add anything, I think it would, that would be a good time. Perfect. No, I think that's it's an exciting theory. I think theories are really exciting. I mean, just uh, one I really like is like set point theory. We know it's, mm -hmm. it's just a theory, but people definitely talk about it as if it's something that's kind of set in stone. But um, it's, I agree. It's not. And um, but I think theories are fantastic. I think you're completely right. A lot of us do have our own theories as to why things happen or occur. Um, and it's yeah. exciting that you've kind of introduced your own. And I think those definitions were really important and helpful. I think just off the top of my head and something I remember reading, uh, I mean, as I was reading through the article, something yeah. that got to me was I uh, completely agree that kind of the closer you are to failure, um, the higher the hypertrophic stimulus. That is kind of, I think I, I totally agree with that from what I've known. Um, but my concern with that would be kind of then the f kind of fatigue build up as kind of we're closer to failure, fatigue rises higher and what yeah. the implications of that might be for long-term kind of progression or long-term muscle growth, especially considering kind of how important volume is kind of being right now. And it's mm. kind of showing that volume is quite important for hypertrophy and whether that fatigue could end up leading to insufficient volume being produced or not as good volumes over the long term. So I don't know if you've thought about that kind of angle. Yeah, I have. And, um, it's an interesting point. I think it's still up to debate. What I can try and do is summarize maybe the position that's, um, that's put forward a lot these days and give you my take on it. So I think I, I've heard um, Mike Zordos and Eric Helms also talk about this a lot. I like uh, what they do. Um, so what Mike says is um, – you should stay far away from failure. And uh, they use the concept of um, reps in reserve. Mm -hmm. And um, so RIR and RPE based on RIR. So they, Mike will say that you can train with four reps in the tank. So that would be an, an RPE of six on 10. Um, and when you're training for hypertrophy, you can train with uh, four reps in the tank, 
three reps in the tank and do most of your um, volume that way. And he will periodize training and include um, weeks or uh, mesocycles with um, micro, even microcycles with uh, uh, fewer reps in reserve. But um, I think uh, I, I'm not distorting his position when I say that um, you could spend the bulk of your hypertrophy work with um, three or four reps in reserve. So that's staying far away from failure. And he argues that uh, by training that way, you'll be able to do more volume overall in the week because you won't um, build up as much fatigue from your workouts. So that's that's a good point and I can understand that um, you can do more volume that way. But you'll be doing a lot of volume far from failure. And if you agree with me that reps closer to failure are more effective at building muscle, then if you're training far from failure to do more reps, yes, you're doing more volume, but is this volume as effective at building muscle um, as it could be? And you know, if we follow the theory and some of the studies uh, on training to failure that I've reviewed, then a point could be made that you're not, you know, that you're doing more volume, but that on average, this volume is less effective. So yes, you're training more, but is, is the point to train or is it to build muscle? So... You're spending more time working out, but I'm not sure that at the end of the week you gave your muscles a stronger hypertrophy stimuli. Mm. Um, so I think that you know both um, both views could be entertained, and I'm not sure that at this point there's a clear-cut conclusion that can be drawn from the literature. So maybe that the best advice uh, at this point would be to give to people would be um, to try both, you know. Maybe you're someone who can handle more volume but who has a hard time going to failure all the time. So if that's you, then go with the Mike Zordos approach. And I, I'm mentioning Mike, but um, I know that many other trainers uh, yeah. um, have this position. Or if you're someone who can handle failure well, and maybe you're shorter on time, so you don't really want to do more volume, you just want to do as little as you can and get um, the biggest bang for your buck, then try going to failure more. Another point I'd like to bring up um, regarding this is that you don't have to do as many sets. You know, if he, one wrist pause set was equal to about three normal sets and a one drop set uh, was equal to about three normal sets in another study by Fink and colleagues in 2017. So it looks like you can do a lot less or or maybe a little bit less volume and still get uh, equal or better gains. Um, so yes, if you're going to take a normal workout and turn all your sets into rest-pause, then yes, you'll probably overdo it and overtrain and um, 
you know, be hurting your gains. So that's definitely a no, no. But if you, if you want to try it out, I would do, you know, use the equivalence of uh, one response set or one drop set equals three normal sets. And I would start that way. And I'm not sure that training that way would necessarily lead to overtraining. And what I've recommended in my article is that people start with one exercise. If you want to try it out, um, just pick one exercise that you can go to failure safely with. So that could be a machine exercise, maybe a chest press or a machine biceps exercise or just a regular curl. And um, try it out. You know, replace three normal sets by one response set. And if you see or if you feel like you're overtraining, maybe your performance is dropping, um, you can slow down. You know, if you went up to two response sets, you can go back to one or you can skip a workout. There are many ways to recover. Um, um, but I think that if you're an experienced trainee or if you're a coach and you're coaching people and you see that your clients are struggling with uh, overtraining and rest pause or drop sets, you know, you can always take your feet uh, off the gas and, um, and not, you know, dip into overtraining. It doesn't happen overnight. So I'm, I'm not that worried about it um, if you're paying attention. No, I think that's really well argued and kind of taking everyone's point of views into account not just kind of dogmatically going with your one way which i really liked um and i don't know if it's it's probably something you've heard of from mike israel and something i've taken on board and used with my clients is the reps in reserve kind of idea in yeah. which kind of his thoughts are four three reps in reserve that's kind of the minimum threshold you need to get some sort of efficacious hypertrophic stimulus then through your mesocycle, you kind of can, or each microcycle, take a uh, reps in reserve down. So you go kind of four, three, two, one, and then kind of you're using kind of your maximal hypertrophic stimulus in that final week. Then you kind of would deload and recycle. So you're kind of eking out easy gains at the beginning so you can progressively overload. And um, I found that to be a really nice practical way to get a bit of a balance between kind of staying further away from failure, but then also getting the benefits of training towards failure. I don't know if, I guess that's something, it, it sounds a kind of balancing it is something that you're kind of trialing at the moment as well. Yes, yes, I like this idea. And um, that would be doing a bit of both. And um, uh, yeah, I can see it working. I know that Brent Schon Schoenfeld also advocates um, periodizing training to failure. Yeah. So having weeks uh, closer to failure at the end of a mesocycle and having weeks farther away from it um so it makes a lot of sense and there are some very skilled coaches recommending that approach so anyone training that way is probably uh, not uh, far from uh, the best possible uh, applications that we know at this point and actually i think i just want to rewind a little bit to kind of you talked about rest pause sets we've talked about drop sets do you want to just explain like the, the general protocol for the listeners just because they haven't read it and they might not know exactly what we're talking about just so they have a baseline oh yeah i would love to um i'll um tell you how i do rest pause sets um i'll tell you how prestige did them in their study and then i'll tell you how fink uh, did drop sets in their study 
So a, a rest pause set is basically a set where you do reps to failure. So let's be concrete here and give an example with uh, 10 reps. So uh, let's say you do 10 reps to failure and then you will wait a little bit to rest and then you'll do more reps to failure. You'll wait a little bit, you'll do more reps to failure and so on. And you can do that as many times as you want. Um, the way I do them is I try to double the initial amount of reps. So let's say I've done 10 reps. I will wait personally, I will wait 40 seconds and I will do say four more reps. I will wait another 40 seconds. I will do four more reps. Now I'm up to eight extra reps. So I will wait another uh, 40 seconds. I'll probably crank out three more. And now all these reps are to failure. So in total, I've actually done 11 extra reps. Uh, so that was 10 plus 11, 21 reps. I find that it's worth it to, to go to failure on the last kind of tiny set because while you're there, you know, why not get the extra gains? Um, so I use 40 second rests to double the reps of my initial set. In Prestige and all, they used 20 second, um, they call it inter-set rest. And um, I found that with a very short rest like that, um, I could barely do two extra reps and my client was the same. Um, but we're lifting pretty heavy weights. I'm not sure about the um, subjects in Prestige uh, study. Um, but if people can try it out, but if you're using 20 second rests and you can do only one or two extra reps, your rest pause set will end up being very long. So you're, you're not being effective um, that way. So I think that the 40 second option is a good compromise. About drop sets, uh, Fink used a 20% drop. So let's do an example here. Let's say we're using 100 pounds on a leg, uh, leg curl exercise. Uh, we're doing 10 reps. We're going to drop the weight right away so there's no pause um, by 20%. So we're down to 80 we're going to do as many reps as we can. We're going to drop the weight again, 20%, do as many reps as we can, and so on. Um, in both studies, they they end up um, ended up doing three extra. So they did three pauses and extra reps in Prestis, and they did three drops in Fink. Um, you don't have to do three. Um, for rest pause sets, sometimes I will go and do more than double the reps. And as um, I get used to the technique, for example, after two, three, four weeks, I find that my basically my muscular endurance um, is increased mm -hmm. so that the tiny sets after after the pauses are not that um, painful <laughs> and uh, so I can I feel like I can do more and I think that's a a good way to progressively overload and um, and and you know ink out 
um, more muscle gain from the technique. So that could also be periodized. Say in the first or two weeks, we could go with three pauses and then go with four pauses and maybe five pauses at the end of a mesocycle and then cycle back to two or even straight sets, you know, normal sets for the first week. Uh, of the new mesocycle that could be seen as a uh, recovery mesocycle and then start doing response or drop sets again and for drop sets that would be dropping the weight you know mm -hmm. um, two three four even five times um, it's been shown that um, sets to failure with lighter weights cause more damage and, and that makes sense. You know, if you can't curl a pencil anymore, it means you've really destroyed your yeah. muscle. So, um, so it, it's the same idea and it's, it's a way to progressively overload as you're, as you keep training by dropping more weight off, then you're damaging your muscles more. And, um, so that's another way to, uh, to overload. Okay. No, fantastic. They sound um, very similar. If people are familiar with myo reps, it's kind of a similar, but it's like changing a few of the variables, which is really cool and exciting. And it shows this, I mean, when we're talking about metabolite sub, like increases and getting the pump yeah. and things like this, there's loads of different, people have loads of different methods for it. I think I've heard muscle rounds yeah. is one I've heard from Dr. Scott Stevenson. Um, he's got some methods there. So I'm really glad you touched on how to kind of periodize it and progressively yeah. overload it because that is something yeah. I did want to ask. And you kind of talked about adding sets. Um, so that's one way of doing it. And then I guess there could be multiple other ways, but kind of adding sets is an important one of doing it because you are going to get better at it as we know the body adapts. Have you found how is there a period of time that you can kind of use this for or have you found like after a couple of months or a couple of mesocycles of using such an approach it kind of loses its effect a little bit have you found that at all i'm not sure i haven't been using it for long enough okay. um in my experience which is limited to maybe four or five months i would um i would say that it hasn't lost its effectiveness and Looking at the science, um, I don't see why it would. You know, I this this theory still needs to be refined. But so, guys, massive apologies. We had some technical difficulties in which I lost uh, my chat to Carl. But luckily, um, we covered a lot within our discussion. And I want to say a massive thank you for staying tuned, and a massive thank you to Carl. And he just had some points he wanted me to reiterate towards the end um, as we were having our discussion. He says, so basically I was saying that I can see myself training with rest pause or drop sets for life. And to prevent overtraining, I just reduce my volume by doing fewer rest pause sets so that he's still able to train to failure, but reducing volume and that should hopefully prevent overtraining. And so far in his experience, it has done. He says that way, my training is much more effective and efficient and I spend less time in the gym. And for him right now, that is a priority as he has a lot going on within his life. So he'd also like to mention that he is currently developing an AI uh, phone app. So this app is going to kind of learn from you um, and utilize such tools as the effective reps via rest pause sets and make your training hopefully more effective and potentially more efficient as well. Um, and that's very exciting. And he actually said he has an offer as well for us and everyone listening and says, what I'd like to do is offer everyone listening their first month free to see if they just want to check out the app. 
And so if you'd like to learn more about starting to build muscle faster using the AI that he's developing and get your first month free because you're listening to this podcast, which is fantastic, um, he has provided a link which will be down below so you can get onto it. And I want to read this out because I think it's important. He also said, and that's it. Uh, Thanks a lot, seriously. And it was a great interview. Again, um, he really enjoys the podcast um, and make sure to mention it to people because... He, he really appreciates everything we're doing at Revive Stronger. And again, I want to thank Carl for coming onto the show and providing the knowledge that he has. And like always, all of the guests. Um, and the podcast couldn't be possible without all of you listeners being here. So I'm glad that I'm able to provide you a free month uh, to Carl's app, which is super exciting. And if you do have any questions, I'm sure Carl would be more than happy to come on again and discuss things once I do have access to the internet. So um, definitely get them down below and we might be able to get him on and uh, talk more about this sort of thing. Um, And I will leave it there, guys. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for bearing with me um, and revive stronger and take care.